Where are you afraid in your life? That is your invitation. That is where the Lord wants to walk alongside you and He wants to offer courage. Welcome to the Breakthrough of Grace podcast, a place where we share the stories of ordinary lives transformed by God's extraordinary graces. We invite you to join us as our speakers talk about their journey towards living lives of rich Christian authenticity to encourage and inspire each one of us. We are thankful you're here and taking this time to spend with us. This episode of the Breakthrough of Grace podcast features a talk by Dominic Polito. Dominic is a faithful husband. He's a father, a firefighter. He has served the church as a youth minister. He's one who through long count of years has learned from God and with God how God pursues our hearts. In particular, Dominic offers the charism of insights around how God pursues our hearts as our Abba, as our Father. Through his own life of prayer, through his own pursuit of the heart of God, and through just the practice and the pattern of raising his own children, Dominic shares spiritual insights and the graces that are on offer when we generously embrace who God is revealing himself to be and to what he is calling us to do. This talk was recorded at a local parish in Southern California with a small prayer group. We pray that it blesses you as much as it did us. My name is Dominic Polito. I live in Valley Center, married to my wife, Christine. I have a handful of kids. And before we start, I, I kind of, uh, I just wanted to lay a base work to recognize where we are, because I realize context really helps. And if this relates to you, then please tie on to it. If not, it's just me. But I feel like right now there is a, there is a battle that is fighting for our perception. And I'm not just talking about politics and media. I'm talking about, you know, you look at, we have the story of Job. And it really clearly paints the dialogue between God and Satan and how he, uh, Satan basically says, oh, look at, you know, look at America. Look at how well it's thriving. I bet you if I took away blah, 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 blah. You know, <laughs> let's see if they would still worship me. Let me see if I close their churches for a year, if they would still come back. That kind of thing. So right now, I feel like we don't have access to reality in the same way that we always have. I don't know how your spiritual life has been, but the Lord has told me over a hundred times, Dominic, you can't trust your feelings right now. Dominic, you can't trust your perception right now. And he has, if I could give it a visual, it's like I'm standing in my yard on a hot summer's day and I have a shovel and a pick and I know I need to put in like a hundred yard trench. And I don't want to because I live in Valley Center, it's all DG yeah. and rock. And it's really difficult, and I know it's going to take a lot. And so I'm fighting my desire to do what I know has to be done. And as I'm hating it, I'm still digging. And even though my feelings aren't aligning with my actual, maybe my vocation at the moment, at the end of the day, there's still a trench. And my feelings aren't validating that. They're not telling me, hey, great job. You know, you're such a good dad. You're such a good husband. You're such a good firefighter. There's none of that. So my perception and my feelings aren't validating my reality, but there's still a trench. And so I feel like that is really a part of our faith right now, where we are, we're kind of looking for that big party, 
on everything that we're trying so hard and we're just bleeding into, but, but there's not, there's no celebration because our perception has been removed from us. It's been jobed from us in a way. And I think that is, that's kind of a deal that's going on. And that creates a division in heart and thought. And so we are forced to rely on our conversations with the Lord to prove reality, whereas our seeing is not offering that. In a time when I was reflecting on uh, the body of Christ, the Lord told me that I was an eyeball. I was like, Lord, what part of the body, which body part am I? He's like, you're an eyeball. I'm like, one, one eyeball? He's like, just one eyeball. And so basically that means you can see great, but there's no depth perception. And so in a sense, there is this, there's this fierce reliance. I mean, 2D is way different than 3D, especially if you're driving. My, my grandfather only had one eye and he was a terrible driver because he just can't, you can't, can't perceive anything. So there is this desperate need to cling to the Lord in order to move. And if you don't do that, you're going you're gonna to hit a wall like my grandpa did in my driveway every time he came over. Um, and then one other thing I want to offer is there's been many times that the world is screaming these needs, these concerns that I have to protect my family from, I have to protect my faith from. And every time I bring them before the Lord, he says, Dominic, I will handle the nations. You handle your family. And that makes it so much easier because when all this stuff is just pouring over my heart, I'm like, no, this is not mine. I can't handle the Ukraine. I can't handle forced vaccines on my family. I can't handle the schools doing the, all these shenanigans. I'm just in charge of my vocation. Okay, so that's kind of prologue. And so before I get into the meat of my talk, which is on fathering, I want to start with this prayer. And this comes from Paul also. It's uh, from the letter to Ephesians chapter 3. Come Holy Spirit, Lord, I just invite you here. Be with us, Lord. We need you so bad. Oh, for this reason, friends, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that he may grant you, in accord with the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner self, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the holy ones what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to accomplish far more than all we ask or imagine by the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. In the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. I'm just going to give you a reflection on fathering because I'm a dad and that's my bag. That's what I do. <laughs> so it's my my expertise um i want to start with a story so we have five kids they're all born in seven years which you can imagine is quite interesting um <laughs> so 
There was a time when my kids were all little and I work for the fire department, so I'm gone for 24 to 72 hours at a time. I come home and everyone wants me. Everyone wants my time, they all want my attention. And I had so much to do. We had a new house, it was destroyed, it was a teardown. And I got it during the height of the economy for really cheap, but I had to, you know, we had to fix the entire thing. And so I was always working on it. And my kids would always come and like, hey dad, do you wanna, you wanna play in the sandbox? You know, or hey, do you wanna play Barbies? Or you wanna, you know, do all this other stuff? And, and I would push them away and say, oh, I can't, I have to do this. And then apparently, I didn't know this, but I would mutter, I just need to go on vacation. Like, yeah, I just mutter that to myself. <laughs> and then my wife would be like, hey, Dom, um, do you want to do you want to have a cup of coffee? And I'd be like, honey, look, don't you see all these things I got? You know, I'm going here on vacation. You know, and so one day she's like, um, what's up with you and vacation? I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, every time myself or the kids make a demand of you, you mutter to yourself that you need to go on vacation. And I didn't notice this. I didn't even realize I was doing it. And I kind of dismissed it. And, and, uh, but then I started catching myself doing it. And so one day I was praying and I brought it before the Lord and I was like, Lord, what, what's up with this? You know, and, and so my pattern of reflection on these type of things, these like little triggers is, um, I'll just kind of quiet myself, invite the Holy Spirit and then chase that phrase or that feeling back as far as I can find it. And so I'm doing that and the Lord's just kind of, slot machining these thoughts and I'm going back, back and back and back. And um, I found myself in Benbow, California in the Redwoods hiking with my dad to go fishing and just having all of him, you know? And I realized that that was the only time I had all of him, you know? Cause whenever he was home, he was doing this, he was doing what I was doing. He was, I was doing, what I was conditioned to do, you know, get home, hit it hard, get all this stuff done. And so I realized that I had this agreement that this is a father's role. You know, it is to produce, it is to work and it is to provide. And that's it, you know, but then I realized I have all this, have this gold at my feet that desires all my time and attention, but um, I am not available to give it because I have agreed that my role as a father has nothing to do with fathering. It has to do with mowing the lawn, <laughs> you know, trimming the trees or laying pipe or whatever. And so I kind of had to surrender that to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, this isn't this. I don't want to be this same dad. My dad was a great dad, you know, especially in his generation, which has a lot to do with every generation. But, but that's not what I wanted to be. I wanted it to be different. So I want to move over to, I went on this retreat in Colorado um, an intensive retreat with this guy named Morgan Snyder. And it was wonderful. And I kind of felt out of place the whole time I was there. And I didn't really, I never talked to him the whole retreat. But at the very last talk at the end, he's like, hey, I, I never got to talk to you. And I was like, oh, that's okay. And, uh, and he said, he, he just said, you have a lot of courage. And I was like, what? He's like, you have a lot of courage. And I'm thinking, dude, we didn't even talk on the street. You don't even know me, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I was, and I said, well, if I have so much courage, why do I feel so afraid? And he said, no, that's, that's what courage feels like. 
He's like, you can't be courageous unless you're afraid, you know? And so that's where I want a diving board on this. So I want to read to you a journal entry um, from 2021 on the Feast of St. Joseph. So I was talking to the Lord and he said, and, and this wasn't just to me, this was to all, I felt like it was to all fathers. Do not be afraid. Courage is my invitation. It is countercultural. The world is avoiding fear, as is the enemy's intention. But I created men to react against fear, to bite, slash, attack, and destroy. The idea of perfection is also a hindrance. Everyone wants to be perfect before they move forward. This goes back to fear. It's all laced together. It's dynamic. Growth is awkward. Look at any teenager. But it is where the most change is happening. In the awkwardness. The tweener period. And I said, yes, I agree. It's so uncomfortable, though. And he said, yes, it is. But my sons need to toughen up. They have become soft. And as long as soft men are raising sons, they will be soft as well. I feel like... There's a major assault on fatherhood. Now, whenever Satan has his fingers in something, he's very patient, and he does it over a long period of time. And I think anyone who looks at the history of fatherhood just in our last century, it's easy to see that it's been slowly taken out. So I mentioned I worked for the fire department. Uh, For the first 10 years of my career, I was often on an ambulance. And when I had a son, I was terrified (laughs) because... I wanted, didn't want him to be as insecure as I was. I wanted him to have so much more than myself. And so I was, I was trying to just gather information to do a better job. And, um, and I did that through various ways. But one of, one of my favorites was when I would be transporting an elderly person, I would ask some questions after, you know, we dealt with their life-threatening problems. Um, <laughs> I would ask some questions about, hey, where, uh, where did you nail it in life? And what do you... What do you wish you would have done different? And I asked those questions um, to hundreds, if not thousands of people. And what I realized, especially with the men, it was just myriads of regret over fathering, you know, and marriage too. But it all had to do with like they had been duped and they had missed out on their entire purpose, you know, and it was so heartbreaking it's like somehow they got bamboozled. You know, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. Uh, go to war, fight for our country, and then come back and play golf. You know? <laughs> or, or um, you know, go to work and save all this money so you can retire and do nothing. You know? And it was, there was, it was just crazy. It was, it, was like they, yeah, it was like they were bamboozled out of their actual vocation and that and so it was almost like this draw to not fall into that and and so for me um my crack was it was just performance so um, when my kids were really little i had done that um reach program which was a highly effective ministry tool and so um, when i came to valley center i had this tool bag that was uh really beneficial to the church i had done thousands of retreats i'd worked with a lot of young people I knew how the hearts of the young men and women worked. And so Christina and I immediately got into youth ministry because when we started, we only had two little kids. They were very portable. So we we're helping in the church and we're getting all these accolades and we're doing all these, this wonderful work. And 
um, just praises on all sides. And it was wonderful. But as we had more and more kids, all my margin was going towards these ministries. And I was feeling so much stress because Christine, eventually she had to back out because she had to raise our children. And every night that I was off, I was going to the church and I was doing all these programs or leading praise or whatever. So I'm getting more pressure from home. I'm getting more pressure from the church. I'm getting more pressure from work. I'm getting more pressure from everywhere to give of my, give everything of myself. And, um, I'm outside. I don't remember what I was doing, but I know exactly where I was. And I was having this conversation with the Lord. I was basically asking him to multiply my time. It's like, Lord, I need more time. You've put all these things in front of me and I can't do them all. And so I just need you to multiply my time. And he asked this question, Dominic, what if you just applied all of these creative energies to your actual vocation? And without editing myself, I was like, if I did that, I'd be an amazing dad. (laughs) You know? And then I was like, oh, crap. (laughs) And... um, You know, and then I realized I was being bamboozled as well because I was, I was seeking my validation all these different places. And so, so Christina, I kind of stopped. We stopped everything and I broke the heart of my, of St. Stephen's parish. And I said, Hey, I'm out. I gotta, I gotta be, gotta be a dad. And so we just, we stopped and we, we kind of, um, started to think about, okay, let's take away all the societal norms. Let's take away everything that we've been told. Hey, you need to, once your kids are out of diapers, you need to put them into sports. And then you need to travel all over the world and spend all of your fortune on feeding their sports addictions. And you need to put them in all these school programs and dance and pony riding and all this stuff. You need to separate your family and just get, get away from family dinners and just make yourself so busy that you can't even breathe. Like, what if we, what if we put all that aside and we just ask the Lord what it looked like to raise kids now? And I was focusing initially on sons because my oldest is a boy and I was, you know, I'm a boy. (laughs) So I'm a little biased. (laughs) Um, And I just started to um, seek all this information. I started asking all the men that I knew, "What what does it take to be a man? You know, from my priest to the firemen that I respected to men that I would run into and I'd ask these questions. Hey, what does it take to be a man? And I was just getting all this information. I started um, researching old initiation rites on how to raise sons. And I was just floored at how much effort used to be taken into raising boys. And if you didn't, they actually turned into a bunch of little douchebags. Um, and so, and I started compiling this list. If I found a man and I found him to be masculine, masculine, I would ask him, okay, give me a few tasks that you think every man should know how to do. And so I started compiling this huge list. And I decided, okay, Christine, we're going we're gonna to create this process for initiating our kids. And right now I'm just going to focus on boys. Um, so we're going to create this initiation process on how to raise sons. And in my head, if I'm honest, basically I'll teach them how to do this giant task list. And then they can't be insecure because they'll be super capable. And then they'll do fine in the world. And then I'll have done my job as a dad. Pick 12 of these men. And they're going to walk alongside you. We're going to go through this two-year process. We kind of prepared them from when they were really little. We'd, uh, you know, um, brainwash them a little bit. Of, oh, yeah, you know, when you're initiated, blah, 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 blah. Oh, no, you got to take out the trash and learn how to do your normal chores or you can't be initiated as a man. Oh, once you're initiated, you know. So we're just building it up, building it up, building it up. And so 
comes this period of time, which we deem between 12 and 14. 12, they're physically capable. 14, they're not a teenager yet, totally. So you they still have your consent or their consent. And um, so we built this up. We started, we got uh, my son picked out 12 men. He wrote him a letter. He invited him to this inauguration. We celebrated him that night, and it started this initiation process. And it was beautiful. So there's this man, Jim Rosado. He, he was one of the men initiating my son alongside me. And he kills a ram for Passover. And he's like, hey, Noah, come on over. You can help me kill this ram. And so Noah goes over there. He's 12 years old. He helps kill the ram, helps skin it, prepare it, put it in the smokehouse. And Jim gave him the ram skin to take home. And he told me how to, you know, to prepare it, to tan it and all that. I'm new at this. Not tanning hides. I mean, I think everyone's new at that, unless you're a thousand years old. (laughs) Um, I'm new at fathering well, okay? And so I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, great. We're going to tan this hide. We got about five minutes before I have another obligation. Son, go grab a butter knife, and I'll meet you on the patio. And so Noah, he's all full of excitement to be initiated by his dad. And it was absolutely terrible because Christine had these obligations she needed me to be a part of. I had not allotted any time to do this. It basically ended in me taking all the tools from him, doing it myself, and then putting it in the garage and acting like we had done this great father-son task together. And my son was so heartbroken. And I was so heartbroken in my own performance with him that I realized that this isn't it. This isn't a task list. This has nothing to do with accomplishing this list of 110 things, this checklist that was going to validate me and my son and tell me that I did a good job and he did a good job. It has to be more than that. And um, so it began this really long process of me submitting my crappy foundation to the Lord and asking him to father me alongside me fathering my son. And that whole idea of what I said in the, or in that, what I read the word that the Lord told me is this idea of perfection. I think I believe that I had to be in a sense perfect in order to give what I knew he needed. And the reality is, like the Lord said, it's dynamic. It's happening at the same time. You know, I think uh, Eldridge, he said some funny phrase about, you know, the Lord's so cunning that he, he storms the beaches of Normandy with, you know, a priest, a Protestant minister, a teacher, and like 12 children. You know, he brings people from all these different stages in life to accomplish something. And that's how this fathering experience was. It was more me having no idea what I'm doing, inviting my son Noah, who has obviously no idea what he's doing, and then doing it together. You know, like as an example, uh, my wife, she came home and she's like, hey, one of the tires is going flat. So we went out there and we looked and there's a screw in the tire. And I was like, hey, Noah, we're going to plug this tire. Now, I've never plugged a tire. I don't know how to plug a tire. The guys at work told me briefly how to plug a tire and where to buy a plug kit, and I had done that. And so here... He's like, Dad, I don't know how to do this. I'm like, I don't know how to do this either. And so we did this plug job together. And he wasn't strong enough to, uh, to handle. I don't know if any of you guys have plugged a tire, but you pull out the screw, you got to file the hole out, clean it out, and then you got to put in a plug. 
And so we do that together and it went okay. Well, five days later, Christine's like, hey, there's another tire going flat. <laughs> and so I go out there and there's another screw in the tire. And this is the Lord. This is what he does when you submit to walk with him. He's like, oh yeah, you, Dominic, you don't know how to plug a tire. And you just submitted your masculinity and your fathering to me. And you want to bestow this on your son, so I'm going to teach you. And so we uh, plug it a second time. And uh, Noah does way better because he's not afraid. He's already done it once. And so we do it again. A week later, there's no screw in the tire. Yeah, my wife's like driving through construction sites. And, uh, and so we do it a third time. So anyways, my point is, as, we sum- as I submitted this process to the Lord, he provided these opportunities for my son and I to walk together. And what started in the beginning as me treating him as I felt like God was treating me. Listen, this is your task. If you don't perform it, you absolutely suck and everyone's going to know. You know, that's what the ramskin was. It was like, what, you don't know how to tan a hide, my 12-year-old son? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like here's a butter knife, figure it out. Like, figure it out on your own. That was, like, that was, my, that was my message. And that's what I was operating it out of. But that's not how the Lord treats me. You know, he gives me enough information to know that I am invited. Now, what is, what is that sensation and feeling in that invitation almost every time? It's fear. You know, when the Lord invites, I mean, read the Bible. <laughs> hey, I want you to liberate Israel. <laughs> okay, great. I feel totally perfect for that. That sounds like a great idea. Let me get a walking stick. You know, that's not the story of salvation history. It's always, we're terrified. You know, and I love, I don't know where it came from, but I love, everyone's like, oh, you know, the Lord will never give you more than you can handle. (laughs) That's not biblical. Okay? The Lord always gives you more than you can handle. Yeah, because you are bamboozled without Him. It is a forced relationship of dependency. And in our mix of, I don't know, maybe American culture, or I don't know where it came from, but you know, this pioneer's idea of we are going to handle this. We think that, okay, number one, I should already be capable of this. And so I'm going to do it. You know, but if you read the history of the pioneers and the early settlers, most of them died. And they died alone (coughs) of some random disease (laughs) in the middle of nowhere. You know, and it was just sheer numbers that they made it. Okay, but that's not the story of the faithful. Those that clung to the Lord always lived (laughs) against insurmountable odds. You know, and if there was too many people to fight, then the Lord would send an angel of death and just wipe out everyone else. I mean, there was always a great story. And so, and this is our story. And this is our, our story in our vocations. It is, oh, crud, I'm afraid again. That's our invitation. Fear is our invitation. Where are you afraid? Where are you afraid in your life? That is your invitation. That is where the Lord wants to walk alongside you and he wants to offer courage. You know, it's, it's, our, it's kind of a litmus test. And, and I think in my head, one day I'm just going to graduate and not be afraid anymore, but that's not true. There's going to be a whole other pioneer's adventure where there's going to be another myriad of fear where I'm forced to invite the Lord again. 
And that's going to, I know it's going to continue at least till I'm 75 because that's how old my dad is and he's still afraid. And he's constantly, you know, butting up against these same fears. And that's our invitation. And like I said in the beginning, it feels terrible. It feels like I have to pull out my fingernails in order to order to move forward. You know, and I'll share a story um, of the initiation with my son Noah. Because, <laughs> you know, it was a gradient from the beginning, from the ram skin, you know, to the end. Um, and the end story I'm going to share is uh, just helping him use a chainsaw. So on this big task list that we're going through, part of it is just being able to get around a garage and understand all the tools in the box, power tools, you know, just I wanted him to be familiar so he's not afraid. And um, in the very beginning, when I was going through all the power tools, the chainsaw was kind of like, that was like the big one, you know, because you can cut your leg off. (laughs) And my son Noah, um, he's terrified of it. And so I explained to him how to use it. I explained to him how to start it. And then he tried and he couldn't. And so I was like, that's okay, I'll start it for you. And, and this is more at the beginning. This is more ramskin, okay? So I started up, and I'm like, okay, this is what you're going to do. I'm yelling over the motor. This is what you're going to do. And, he, and he's just terrified. He's like, Dad, I'm afraid. And so right when I'm about to just bulldoze him through this process, the Lord's like, just wait. And I was like, okay. And it was like pulling out my fingernails because I wanted to check off the box of the chainsaw. And so I just... I just listened to the Lord and I turned it off and I was like, it's okay. No, we'll, we'll do it another time. He's like, thank you. You know, and what was <laughs> just in that? Thank you. I was like, how many times have I given that to the Lord where he's like, Dom too hard, too fast. Just, just stop. I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> you know? And so fast forward, my son, um, he had spent some time with my sister in Colorado and they went ax throwing and he loved it. They had a great time. And he came home and, and he's like, Dad, I want to I build a, an axe-throwing block. I was like, okay. And I had this big piece of glue lamb in my yard um, from a friend of ours. They, they were moving away and they gave it to us. And, and that was the, probably the best piece of wood that I had. But it was like six feet long and it's you know a big old block of wood. And I was like, son, the, the only thing I have to, to cut this piece of wood is a chainsaw. So if you want to build this, we're going to have to cut it with a chainsaw. And he's kind of pacing a little bit. He's much bigger now. He was 12 when we started the chainsaw fear. He's now 14. This kid has been praying every day. He's been working out every day for the last two years. He's a completely different person. But he's still afraid. But he's learned through so many examples that even though he's afraid, it doesn't mean that he has to stop. It just means that he's afraid. And so he said, okay. He's like, I'll do it. He's like, just show me how to do it. And so we set out this glue lamb. We block it up. And I put the chainsaw in front of him. I explain him how to start it. He starts it, no problem. And um, so we're standing there, and he's holding it. And I can tell that he's still terrified. <laughs> it's so beautiful because he is different, and I am very different. And so before, I would have been completely hands-off, I would have just, because I want him to be able to function in the world by himself. And so in my mind, you have to do this on your own. But that's not how God works. And so I'm like, now I get to be dad. I get to actually father him like the Lord has been fathering me. And so I come up behind my giant son and I wrap both arms around him. And I put my hand 
over one hand on the chain brake and I put my hand over the other hand on the trigger and I got my chin on his shoulder and I'm talking right in his ear, you know, and I'm like, son, it's okay. We're going to do this together. And there's part of me, the devil's like, oh, you're going to make him into a little Nancy. He's not going to be capable. Who who is he going to have in his life to whisper into his ear? I'm like, shut up, get out of here, you know? And I'm like, father, let's do this, you know? And so, so I got my chin on his ear and I'm like, son, okay. And so I'm just walking it through. I'm like, just release the chain break. The chainsaw is going to do the work. You're going to rev it hot and you're just going to let it fall through the wood like butter. You're not... You're not even going to have to push down. Don't push down too hard. Or you'll bind up the saw. I'm explaining all this to him. So, you know, he revs up the saw. He's starting to cut into this, this big beam. And, um, and as he's going through it, I can feel him start to relax, you know, and I can feel him, his shoulders square out. He's holding it on his own now. He's kind of like, kind of like annoyed by my hand. And so <laughs> I take my hand off of him. I'm still near him. And then and he's just cutting through it like a boss now. And so I'm just slowly backing away. And then I move around in front of him. And he cuts all the way through it. It falls apart. He sets a chain break with his wrist like he's done it a thousand times, which he never has. He turns off the saw. He set it down. And he's like, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> you know? And I realize like that it was a template. You know? This, it was such a beautiful template of how the Lord has fathered me and now how I have fathered my son. And it made me proud because I had participated in this process that was intended, you know? Like I had, I had fallen into this river of grace and I had allowed the Lord to move me in the way that was naturally intended and it was fruitful. You know, it was like the tree planted by the river that it drinks even in the summer and the leaves never fail. And so there was just this bounty in my heart of the process that the Lord is fathering me and that he's fathering my son. And it's been a template for him. I mean, he, he still balks when he's afraid. And so do I. And I'm sure you guys do too. Um, it's our natural human inclination. But it has become an invitation. And I've seen him push through it several times. I've seen my other son, Eli, who's actually in his process right now. And I've still seen it in myself. And so um, I just want to encourage all of you, you know, but especially you fathers, and especially you men, we're, there's kind of a man shortage right now. You know, and if it's not being ripped out, especially through Hollywood and media, um, the definition of manhood is being changed. And the only thing that is fighting against it is, is real men. So please exercise your manhood. There's, there's never been an hour that it's more important. Friends, what a rich and impactful series of reflections by Dominic Polito. If this talk spoke to you and maybe revealed some areas where God wants to go deeper with you. And in particular, if you're curious, how does Jesus, in fact, work to restore us day by day to the heart of the Father? There are two books by an author named John Eldridge that can be very helpful. The first is called Wild at Heart. The second, which follows, again, by John Eldridge, is a book called Waking the Dead. Another book which may inspire you is entitled Becoming a King, and the author is Morgan Snyder. And that book was written to those who seek to enter more deeply into a life of apprenticeship under God, quoting Ephesians chapter 1, that we might become whole and holy as God intends us to be. We encourage you to find these books at your local bookseller or online. And thank you for joining us on this episode 
of the Breakthrough of Grace podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Breakthrough of Grace podcast. We're a small word of mouth movement. Can we ask you to share it with a friend? Please see our show notes and website for discussion questions and other resources. Until next time, may God bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.